welcome to the reading of the Iowa Capital Dispatch for November 24th, 2023. I'm your reader, Stephen Gazier. Ag and Environment. State's corn harvest is almost done, except in South Central Iowa. By Jared Strong, November 21st, 2023. This year's corn and soybean harvests are virtually complete in nearly every area of the state, with one exception, South Central Iowa. Quote, farmers in South Central Iowa still have over 10% of their corn for grain crop remaining to be harvested, the U.S. Department of Agriculture reported on Monday. That region of the state is often the last to finish harvest, according to USDA crop reports that date back more than a decade. This year, part of that lag might have been caused by some replanting of soybeans, which delayed their maturation and harvest, said Clarabelle Probosco, an Iowa State University Extension Field agronomist who monitors that part of the area. Quote, with those late planted beans, people just kind of waited around to get out to harvest, she said. But the broader issue might be tied to higher yields and limited on-farm grain storage, said Aaron Saugling, an extension field agronomist who monitors other counties of that area. South Central Iowa typically has the lowest bushel per acre yields of any parts of the state, according to ISU data. Quote, yields have been higher than we're used to, Saugling said. And typically, we don't have the grain storage down there that we do in other parts of the state, so a little more of it has to go to town. Despite the delays in that area, Iowa's soybean harvest is considered complete, and about 97% of the state's corn had been harvested as of Sunday. The work has been aided by a streak of mostly rainless weeks. Last week, the highest precipitation total was four hundredths of an inch in the southeast corner of Iowa, state climatologist Justin Gleason reported. The state averaged zero precipitation for the week compared with the normally expected 0.43 inches. That dryness will be, quote, the big story, end quote, in the next several months, said Seglin, who had noted dry wells and dwindling streams that are used for livestock. He thinks the U.S. Drought Monitor has understated that dryness in Cass and Potawatomi counties, which have been classified as having severe drought, the third worst drought designation. Quote, I've lived here 23 years and have never seen the Nishnabotna River this low, ever, he said, and it's been this low for five months. Healthcare. Complaints pile up as Iowa ranks 49th among states in nursing home inspectors. Iowa's use of privately employed inspectors questioned by U.S. Senate Committee staff. By Clark Kaufman, November 21st, 2023. A federal report suggests Iowa has one of the nation's worst ratios of nursing home inspectors to care facilities, and that the state's use of private contractors to inspect homes is extraordinarily costly to taxpayers. The report, published earlier this year by the majority staff of the U.S. Senate Special Committee on Aging, highlights some of the issues Iowa regulators have acknowledged with regard to nursing home oversight. One of the Iowa homes that recently caught the attention of regulators is the Pine Acres Rehabilitation and Care Center in West Des Moines. This past July, state officials visited the home to conduct an inspection, but not before the home had racked up 13 complaints, the oldest of which dated back 109 days to March 3rd. Over the next several weeks, an additional 12 complaints were filed against the home, and a second inspection took place. Eventually, all of the 25 complaints were substantiated by inspectors, and Pine Acres was cited for 62 regulatory violations, some of which pertain to neglect that allegedly resulted in the amputation of a resident's leg. State and federal records show the timeliness of Iowa's response to complaints has been an issue for years. 
predating the outbreak of COVID-19 in early 2020, and then growing worse. In some cases, Iowans have died or suffered serious injuries in care facilities where complaints were pending, having not yet been investigated by the state. Data from the Iowa Department of Inspections, Appeals, and Licensing, which handles complaints against nursing homes, shows the agency has made progress catching up on complaints, in part by paying outside contractors to handle some of the inspections. However, the Senate staff report, based largely on fiscal year 2022 data, found that Iowa ranks 49th in the nation in terms of its ratio of inspectors to care facilities, and that the use of contractors is expensive and risky. Quote, inspection delays endanger nursing home residents, the Senate staff report states. A growing number of states have turned to inspectors employed by private companies to bridge gaps. Costly contractual arrangements worth millions of dollars that should be subject to additional scrutiny from federal regulators, watchdogs, and the press, end quote. When asked about the report, the Iowa Department of Inspections, Appeals, and Licensing said it employs 46 long-term care inspectors and, quote, is in the top eight states in the country, end quote, with regard to inspectors' positions that are filled and not left vacant. The agency acknowledged that it contracts with others on behalf of the federal government to complete inspections, adding that it has worked closely with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, as well as the U.S. Senate Special Committee on Aging, on ways to ensure resident safety in long-term care facilities. John Hale, a consultant who advocates for Iowa seniors, said the federal report, quote, should be of great concern, end quote, to Iowans with family members in nursing homes. Quote, an analysis of the data shows that the department is significantly understaffed, deals with the understaffing by contracting out inspection functions to private companies, and ends up paying more to get less, Hale said. The legislature's oversight committees should be, but aren't, routinely meeting with the Department of Inspections, Appeals and Licensing, and other state agencies to ensure that they are giving taxpayers their money's worth. Their failure to do so is appalling, end quote. Among the report's specific findings, few inspectors. In 2022, Iowa had 46 state inspectors overseeing 414 nursing homes. Some states that have a comparable number of homes had twice that many inspectors on staff. Michigan, for example, had 93 inspectors for 433 homes, and North Carolina had 96 inspectors for 424 homes. Higher workload. Only one state, South Carolina, had a worse ratio of inspectors per nursing home. For every inspector Iowa had on staff, it had nine care facilities to oversee. By comparison, Kansas and Nebraska each had 5.7 facilities per inspector. Missouri had 2.7, Minnesota had 4.5, and Illinois had 2.2. Unfilled positions. The number of vacant positions for Iowa nursing home inspectors has increased over time. In 2002, there were no such vacancies. In 2022, 9% of the positions were vacant. Cost to taxpayers. Iowa has incurred significant expense hiring contractors to handle inspections in place of state employees. The pay range for a registered nurse inspector working for the state of Iowa is $66,600 to $93,800, but Iowa has paid a private company, CertiServe, $33,300 per inspection for each facility with 96 to 174 beds. In addition, the company charged the state $40,950 for a single inspection of any nursing homes with 175 or more beds. Quality of work. 
There are only a few private companies qualified to handle care facility inspections, and several states have reported problems with the quality of the contractor's work. Iowa, however, has taken the opposite view and, according to Senate investigators, state officials have, quote, praised the brevity and conciseness, end quote, of the published inspection reports produced by contractors, quote, even instructing their own employee surveyors to emulate the writing style, end quote. Conflicts of interest. Some of the companies that states have contracted to handle nursing home inspections have pre-existing contracts to provide consulting services for the nursing homes themselves. Raising questions about the conflicts of interest and the diligence of the hired contractors, Iowa officials told Senate investigators, quote, there is no mechanism to track consulting services provided by contractors, according to the report. State Senator Claire Selsey, a Des Moines Democrat, said Monday the findings in the federal report may provide an answer to why Larry Johnson, the director of the Iowa Department of Inspections, Appeals, and Licensing, has not answered some of her questions. Quote, This totally solves the mystery of the silence from Larry Johnson, who's completely stonewalling me every time I ask why the inspections are so far behind and why, basically, we aren't having more inspections, she said. The mystery is solved. We simply don't have enough people. In April, the Iowa Capital Dispatch reported that while the state had made significant headway in clearing up its backlog of uninvestigated complaints, the number of complaints had been increasing. At that time, there were 48 uninvestigated complaints that were at least 90 days old, a dramatic reduction from 2022 when two dozen complaints had languished more than a year without being investigated. One of the delayed investigations pertained to Connie Roundy who lived at Rose Vista Home in Woodbine in January 2020, when her granddaughter complained to the state about issues at the home. The complaint wasn't investigated by the state until March 2021, six months after Roundy died. Selsey said legislators can try to address some aspects of the problem, but it could take years for Republican lawmakers to be persuaded the issue needs to be addressed and reach a consensus as to what should be done. Quote, We should make it mandatory that we have X number of inspectors for the number of nursing homes we have, absolutely, she said. But I have a feeling that nursing homes are not on the governor's priority list, end quote. Selsey said that during the upcoming 2024 legislative session, quote, the public will probably see a change in the way Democrats talk about this issue in the legislature, and that will put some pressure on Governor Reynolds to do something. Dean Lerner, who served as director of the inspections department under Democratic Governor Chet Culver, said he's not surprised by the report's finding with regard to Iowa's oversight of care facilities. Quote, this information tells the whole story of the Reynolds administration's attitude toward the health, safety, and welfare of our most vulnerable seniors, he said. It's an abomination. Governor Kim Reynolds' office did not respond to a request for comment. Healthcare. Justice. Lawsuit claims insurer conned Iowa lawmakers into passing tort reform by Clark Kaufman, November 22, 2023. A newly filed lawsuit claims an insurance company engineered a record-setting medical malpractice judgment in Iowa to spur state legislators into passing tort reform legislation. In March 2022, a Johnson County jury awarded more than $97.4 million to the family of a boy who sustained serious brain injury during his birth at an Iowa City hospital. The award, believed to be the largest medical malpractice judgment in Iowa history, was later reduced to $75.6 million. 
The boy's parents, Kathleen and Andrew Crumphart, had sued Obstetric and Gynecologic Associates of Iowa City and Coralville and others, alleging their son's brain damage was caused by negligence in the hours leading up to his birth in August 2018. Court filings by both parties on both sides of the case suggest that the clinic, the doctors, and the family were interested in settling the case out of court for an amount that would be covered by the clinic's insurance policy. The insurance company resisted, however, and rejected proposals to settle the case for any amount, which resulted in the malpractice case going to trial. This week, the clinic's attorney, Nick Rowley, filed a lawsuit in state court arguing that the insurer, MMIC Insurance, Constellation Incorporated, and its attorneys, Shuttleworth and Ingersoll of Cedar Rapids, acted in bad faith. MMIC, the lawsuit claims, used the lawsuit and the resulting jury award to persuade state lawmakers to pass tort reform legislation that would save insurance companies millions by capping damages from malpractice that could be paid out to patients and their families. Quote, once a jury decided the case was worth $97 million, MMIC, Constellation, used the jury's verdict to convince Iowa politicians to put a cap on non-economic damages in place in the state of Iowa, the lawsuit claims. MMIC, Constellation, unreasonably chose not to settle and make the lawsuit and verdict go away, and then used OBGYN Associates' financial and reputational demise as propaganda to pass tort reform in Iowa. MMIC, Constellation, had been attempting to get a hard, non-economic damages cap put in place in Iowa for many years, ellipses. MMIC Constellation knew that the story of a $97 billion verdict and three female OBGYN physicians having to file bankruptcy and close their practice because of a large jury verdict would give MMIC Constellation what it needed to convince Iowa lawmakers to vote to pass the cap. The defendants in the case have yet to file a response to the lawsuit, but have denied wrongdoing in related federal court filings. Rowley acknowledged Wednesday that the lawsuit speaks not just to the insurance company's actions, but to its motives. But, he said, he doesn't anticipate it will be a difficult case to prove. Quote, I don't think it's going to be that tough, he said. A jury is going to see what happened. It's right there. It's right out in the open. Because that's how bold they are in Iowa. And wait until you get all their emails and their text messages and everything. We're going to look at everything and leave no stone unturned. Lawsuit. Governor and lawmakers lobbied. The allegations in the lawsuit echo those made in court filings related to the original malpractice lawsuit and the clinic's bankruptcy. In relation to those filings, Rowley claimed the insurer's decision to take the case to trial, rather than settle, was part of predetermined strategy of forcing the clinic into bankruptcy, enabling lobbyists and lawmakers to claim tort reform was needed to save medical providers from moving out of Iowa. The bankruptcy element of the plan was almost successful, Rowley claims until a federal judge in the bankruptcy case stepped in and dismissed the case as fraudulent. The newly filed lawsuit claims that in the wake of the record-setting judgment, MMIC, Constellation, quote, held seminars and lobbied for the implementation of non-economic caps in Iowa, involving the governor in the process. MMIC, Constellation, told a story of three female OBGYN physicians who had to file for bankruptcy and closed down their clinic because of greedy trial lawyers and out-of-control civil litigation in Iowa. What MMIC Constellation failed to share in these seminars and meetings with Iowa lawmakers is the fact that MMIC Constellation was the insurer in the case of the $97 million verdict and all of the other large jury verdicts in Iowa, and that each case went to trial because MMIC Constellation 
refused to negotiate and settle reasonably, end quote. House File 161 capped non-economic damages and lawsuits against healthcare providers for medical incidents that result in the loss or impairment of a bodily function, disfigurement, or death at $1 million for clinics and individual doctors and $2 million for hospitals. Rowley has argued that MMIC constellation in executing the alleged scheme to, quote, bamboozle, end quote, state legislators, repeatedly put its own financial and political interests ahead of its policyholder, the clinic, which it used as, quote, a pawn to change Iowa law regarding non-economic damages, telling Iowans at best half-truths and at worst straight-up lies, ellipses. The bad faith runs deep and will prove to be one of the worst cases of bad faith conduct justifying punitive damages in Iowa state history. Rowley said Wednesday that the insurance companies have been, quote, playing the long game, end quote, and focusing on long-term profits rather than short-term losses. Quote, they sit up there on their high insurance company thrones, and they see the world through a whole different lens than the rest of us, Rowley said. Judge questioned bankruptcy filing. The lawsuit seeks unspecified damages for bad faith, legal malpractice, breach of fiduciary duty, and breach of contract. The new litigation follows an aborted bankruptcy filing by the clinic last fall. The Crumpart's attorneys had challenged the filing, arguing it was filed in bad faith to avoid payment of the malpractice award. On January 20th, the conservator in the bankruptcy case filed a motion with the court, alleging the clinic was acting in bad faith by filing bankruptcy and arguing it was a litigation tactic to avoid payment of a bond that would secure some of the clinic's assets. In a March 29 decision dismissing the bankruptcy case, U.S. bankruptcy judge Anita L. Shodin expressed concern over, quote, the relationship, end quote, between the clinic and its insurer, MMIC. The judge suggested the insurance company may have given the clinic certain financial favors in return for the clinic filing for bankruptcy as part of an effort to shield MMIC from having to make a $12 million policy payout. She noted that MMIC paid fees to the clinic's bankruptcy professionals and offered the clinic favorable terms on its insurance coverage when no one else would. In addition, the judge stated, MMIC had offered to extend credit to the clinic. Quote, a question arises about whether the bankruptcy was motivated by a proper purpose or to obtain financial advantages from MMIC in exchange for filing bankruptcy to attempt to protect it from making payment under the policy, Shodin stated in her decision. Education. Iowa public universities handle increased need from students facing food insecurity. By Brooklyn Tracy, November 20th, 2023. A half hour before Iowa State University's food pantry was ready to open, a small group of students had already gathered outside, ready to pick up groceries and other necessities. Doctoral candidate Mobina Amarliahi worked on her laptop in the hallway. She was hoping to get tofu and canned goods from the shop as a supplement to the groceries she buys. Frederick Osai, also a doctoral candidate, wanted to grab protein and spaghetti if he could. Shop co-president Sarah Schroeder said lines aren't an unusual sight, and the pantry's size doesn't help. On days when students know the pantry has been restocked, they'll see hundreds come through in a couple of hours. Quote, you walk down that really long hallway from the front desk, and there's times that our line is to the stairs that you walk down, Schroeder said. So we do see these lines, especially during certain hours throughout the week. Like we have definitely busy hours in which there will be large crowds waiting outside.
Like Schroeder, leaders of food programs at the University of Iowa and University of Northern Iowa are seeing large volumes of students come through. As cost of living and higher education continue to climb, Iowa's public universities are seeing more and more students seek out programs to help them put food on the table while juggling school, work, and other responsibilities. Resources on Campus The shop at Iowa State University offers shelf-stable and perishable food to campus, as well as hygiene items and other necessities, Mondays and Wednesdays through Friday. At the University of Iowa, the Food Pantry at Iowa is open to anyone with a university ID Tuesday through Friday. The University of Northern Iowa's Panther Pantry offers food, hygiene, and cleaning products to students Monday through Thursday. Each of the university's food pantries are seeing increased usage year over year, causing them to try to increase stock and limit how much can be taken if needed. In August 2022, the Food Pantry at Iowa saw 660 visits and gave away 6,539 pounds of food. In August of this year, it saw 990 visits and went through 11,250 pounds of food. The shop at Iowa State University and the University of Northern Iowa's Panther Pantry have also seen increases in students stopping by to grab items, with the shop jumping from 1,020 visits in September 2022 to 1,884 visits in September 2023, and the Panther Pantry having a 17% increase in unique students from this fall to last. Last school year, University of Northern Iowa Associate Director of Student Involvement and Event Services, Connie Hansen, said the pantry saw 550 unique students. Usage of the pantry has been a steady increase since it opened in 2019. Beyond food pantries, the universities also offer programs to get students access to dining halls and emergency funds. The University of Northern Iowa started a new program this fall called Panthers Against Hunger which allows students to donate up to $20 of their dining dollars for students to get a hot meal. Iowa State University Give a Swipe program lets students donate flex meals or dining dollars to other students in need of meal assistance. University of Iowa's Hawkeye Meal Share program creates a pool of unused dining hall guest passes, which are distributed to students who apply. They can receive up to 14 meals through the program. Each university also has emergency funds, which students can apply for to get help meeting their expenses. Sometimes these resources aren't enough. University of Iowa Basic Needs Coordinator Steph Beecher said students who already use the pantry and meal voucher program will come to her looking for more sustainable aid, but it's just not available. Quote, we're kind of trying to scramble and find resources, and honestly, there's just times where we're like, there's nothing else we can do, Beecher said. Tracking Increased Need University of Iowa professor and researcher Catherine Broton said long-term trend data on basic needs and security isn't really available, but what can be tracked is rising prices of higher education and financial aid falling behind. Less state investments in higher education has prompted colleges to consistently hike tuition, and financial aid offerings have failed to fill the gap. Iowa Regents Universities raised tuition for the third year this spring, with in-state undergraduates paying 3.5% more and varying increases for out-of-state undergraduates. University of Iowa and University of Northern Iowa increased tuition for in-state graduate students by 3.5% as well, and Iowa State University brought it up by 4%. In the past, students were able to work their way through college, but that's not the case now. Students are dealing with higher costs of living and food, as well as education due to inflation and wages not rising to combat it.
quote, These problems really are stemming from the high price of college attendance. Limited need-based financial aid that is not kept up with the rising price of college attendance and the wages that students are able to earn and the increased precarity of low-wage workers in our economy, Broton said. Increased usage of food and security resources could also be due to higher visibility and availability of programs. The University of Iowa relocated its food pantry to a larger and more visible space in the basement of the Iowa Memorial Union this August, and basic needs manager Faith Surface said the number of visitors has jumped from around 100 a week to 100 a day. Quote, I think the need has always been there, Surface said. We're just now more accessible. Finding Solutions Despite universities expanding their food access programs for those in need, Broton said resources like food pantries and meal vouchers don't actually solve the problem of food insecurity. Quote, I have a colleague who often says we will not be able to, quote, food pantry, end quote, our way out of this, Broton said. Food pantries are essential resources for our communities, but you know, they're not designed to end hunger, end quote. Solutions targeting how students pay for college, as well as increased access to public benefits, would have an indirect impact on food insecurity, as well as other basic needs and security, Broton said, as they're getting closer to longstanding root problems rather than to more immediate concerns. Having plans in place to address short, moderate, and long-term issues is important, she said, as students are struggling with having food to eat and a place to stay today. But the fact that future students will experience this as well needs to be taken into consideration. Beecher agreed, saying she's advocating for systemic change. Recalling Audre Lorde's work in the 1960s to establish community health care as they could not rely on the government for help, Beecher said the University of Iowa needs to put more funds to the pantry and help care for its students. Students facing basic needs and security, with whom Broton has worked in her research, have reported trouble focusing and feelings of anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation, and a lack of belonging. Their attendance to class and coursework suffer while they're trying to figure out where their next meal will come from. However, food and security programs have been shown to help students feel better and stay on track with their schooling. A study Broton conducted on a meal voucher program put in place by a Boston Community College found that students who started college at a high risk of food insecurity and were offered meal vouchers for the dining hall had a higher attainment rate than their peers who didn't receive vouchers. She said similar studies looking at food pantries yielded similar results. Quote, investing in basic needs resources isn't just the right thing to do to help students, but it can actually improve a college's bottom line as it improves retention rates and academic success outcomes, Broton said. Food Pantry at Iowa Basic Needs Manager Yun Seo Ki said food pantries have been a lifeline for her in the past when she was working long and odd hours trying to pay for her schooling and life. The support she received made her want to give that back and was what made her start volunteering at the food pantry at Iowa. Quote, anybody can walk in and need a helping hand to get through a rough patch in their life, and then they might just become inspired to help their fellow students and community members in the same way, Key said. You are listening to the reading of the Iowa Capital Dispatch for November 24, 2023, on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind. Now let's continue with this week's stories. Election 2024, Government and Politics. Bob Vanderplatz endorses Florida Governor Ron DeSantis for president. Trump's rivals look to evangelical support as best hope to unseat frontrunner. By Robin Opsel, November 21, 2023. 
As the Iowa caucuses draw near, former President Donald Trump holds a significant lead ahead of other Republican presidential candidates. But Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' campaign hopes to harness the support of Iowa evangelicals, an influential group of GOP caucus-goers, to win the caucuses. That strategy was strengthened Tuesday when family leader president and CEO Bob Vanderplatz endorsed DeSantis for president. On special report with Brett Beyer on Fox News Tuesday, the influential evangelical leader said the driving force behind his endorsement was that he believed DeSantis could win in the 2024 general election. Quote, At last Friday's family forum, he closed the sale with me, Vanderplatz said. He was very clear about, subquote, We need a president who can serve two terms, not one term. We don't need a president that's going to be a lame duck on day one, end subquote. And I just think he's got the spine to do it, and he's got the experience to win for us. The Family Leader, a conservative Christian political organization, hosted three candidates, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, former UN Ambassador Nikki Haley, and entrepreneur Vivek Ramaswamy, on November 17th at its Thanksgiving presidential forum. As the candidates shared their personal religious beliefs and policy proposals, Vanderplatz asked them about how they would bring more leadership and, quote, civility, end quote, to the White House. The family leader and Vanderplatz have long played an important role in the Iowa Republican caucuses. He endorsed the eventual winner of the Iowa caucuses in several recent nomination cycles. U.S. Senator Ted Cruz in 2016, former U.S. Senator Rick Santorum in 2012, and former Arkansas Governor Mike Huckabee in 2008. While Vanderplatt's support aided these candidates in winning the first in the nation caucuses, these candidates did not end up winning the Republican presidential nomination. But Vanderplatt's told Bayer that Iowa's role in 2024 is to show the country that Trump's nomination is not inevitable. Quote, If you upend the former president here, I think we're going to offer America a choice, Vanderplatt said. It will be a tall order. Trump has consistently led in national and Iowa polls, with 43% of likely Republican caucus-goers listing him as their first choice in the caucuses in the October Des Moines Register, NBC News, Mediacom, Iowa poll. But in a recent interview with the Iowa Capitol Dispatch, Vanderplatt said the number one concern for Iowa evangelicals is winning the presidency. And while many Iowans like Trump they fear he may not succeed in rematch against President Joe Biden in 2024. Quote, Typically what I hear is that they're very thankful of President Trump and the administration, Vanderplatt said. They're exhausted about the indictments and the constant complaints about the past, and they really believe America has made up their mind on the former president and that he's not going to be able to win again. And so they're looking for an alternative. End quote. He is not the only prominent Republican to believe Trump may not be able to win the general election. Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds endorsed DeSantis in early November, telling reporters she does not believe Trump can win in 2024. Other candidates have also recently gained the backing of influential Iowans. Haley received an impromptu endorsement from Marlis Papma, a former Iowa GOP executive director and former president of Iowa Right to Life at a Friday event, where she encouraged Iowans to, quote, be bold, end quote, and support Haley in the 2024 caucuses. Patma worked on multiple GOP presidential campaigns, including working for U.S. Senator Ted Cruz in 2016 and working as national coordinator for evangelical outreach for late U.S. Senator John McCain's 2008 campaign. Quote, 
Don't be afraid to support the person you want to support because you think somebody else is going to win, Patma said in a video published on social media. Because that's how we lose. Evangelicals make up a significant portion of Iowa Republican caucus participants. In the August Iowa poll, 55% of respondents described themselves as being, quote, devoutly religious, end quote, down from 62% who identified as such in a January 2016 Iowa poll. A January 2016 NBC News exit poll found 64% of Iowa Republican caucus goers identified as evangelical or born-again Christians. Among likely GOP caucus goers who identify as evangelicals, 44% said Trump is their first choice for president in the October poll. Vanderplatt said some evangelicals who support Trump in polls may not be locked in for the former president. While many Iowa Republicans appreciate Trump's track record, they're still, quote, getting to know, end quote, the other contenders. And that process often lasts all caucus season. Quote, Iowa, historically in the Iowa caucuses, breaks very late, Vanderplatt said. They did for Mike Huckabee, they did for Rick Sanctorum, and they did for Ted Cruz. And I expect that will be the case again this year. So I still think not only is the evangelical community still very much at play, but I think Iowa caucus goers in general are very much in play. In response to Vanderplatt's announcement, Trump's campaign highlighted the endorsements of 150 faith leaders ahead of the Iowa caucuses. Quote, the overwhelming support from Iowa faith leaders is a clear indication that President Trump's unwavering commitment to the principles and values that are important to people of faith, Pastor Dan McCoy, senior pastor at First Baptist Church in Urbandale, said in a news release. Earlier in November, Trump's campaign released a poll to supporters and donors, saying that Vanderplatt supports of DeSantis would not hurt the former president's lead in Iowa. But DeSantis said that Iowa evangelicals trust and care about Vanderplatt's view on the race, saying Iowans have told him about the faith leader's work, quote, engaging Iowa's faith community in the key battles that matter, end quote. Quote, his support tells Iowans they can trust me to fight and win for them, DeSantis said in a news release. We're thrilled to have Bob and Darla on Team DeSantis and are thankful for their friendship as we've gotten to know them throughout this campaign. The road to America's revival starts in Iowa, and we will get the job done. But some Iowa evangelicals say they sense that Republican voters are moving forward under the assumption that Trump will sweep in the caucuses. At a September Iowa Faith and Freedom Coalition event, Lisa Smith of Ottawa said seeing the field of GOP presidential candidates speak was, quote, invigorating, end quote. That feeling was shared with other Iowa Republicans she spoke to at the event. But that did not mean they were supporting Trump's rivals. Quote, it still just seems like it's overwhelmingly Trump, Smith said. They'll say, subquote, oh yes, I like whoever. You'd be a good vice president, or you'd be good in the cabinet. In fact, my friend just said that tone of the people out there, and I was like, subquote, oh well, that's not what you say, end subquote. But it is like that right now, and it still is just such a good thing to be able to hear that there are other people like you around, end quotes. Candidates say Republicans need nuance on federal abortion approach. Despite Trump's popularity, one of the areas where Trump is at odds with many evangelical Republicans is on the issue of abortion. While Trump has criticized Reynolds for months because she said she would remain neutral to encourage all candidates to campaign in Iowa, she fired back in September after he called Florida's six-week abortion ban a, quote, terrible thing and a terrible mistake, end quote 
in a Meet the Press interview. Trump has pointed to abortion as one of the central reasons for Republicans' losses in the 2022 midterms and called for GOP candidates to take a different approach to the issue. Reynolds replied on social media that, quote, it's never a, subquote, terrible thing, end subquote, to protect innocent life, end quotes, saying she was proud to sign the measure into law in Iowa following a special session this year. More than half, 52%, of likely Iowa caucus goers said they disagreed with Trump calling a six-week abortion ban a, quote, terrible mistake, end quote, the October Des Moines Register, NBC News, Mediacom, Iowa Poll, found 36% said they agreed with his comments, and 12% were not sure. Trump is not the only candidate calling for Republicans to change their approach to talking about abortion on the campaign trail. Haley has faced criticism from some evangelicals over her campaign position on a federal abortion ban, a policy goal she does not believe can be realistically accomplished by Republicans. At the Thanksgiving Forum Friday, Haley said Republicans need to focus their energy on finding areas where a consensus can be reached banning of late-term abortions, advocating for maternal support, and encouraging adoption services. Quote, If you're going to pass a federal law, you have to have a majority in the House. You have to have 60 Senate votes. You have to have the signature of a president. Haley, and we haven't had 60 Republicans in over 100 years. We may have 45 pro-life senators, so we can't bear abortions on the Republican side any more than Democrats can ban these state laws. So, if we're focused on how we save as many babies as possible, then let's come together and say, subquote, what can we do, end quotes. On the campaign trail, DeSantis has touted Florida's so-called, quote, fetal heartbeat, end quote, ban as one of the, quote, promises kept, end quote, to his Republican supporters as governor. Speaking at a July forum, DeSantis said that America needs to develop a, quote, culture of life, end quote, and that, as president, he would support governors like Reynolds and others in passing state abortion bans. He said he opposed the language used by some that banning abortion is too divisive an issue for Republicans to win, but he said that candidates who are not willing to take on controversial issues were, quote, not dependable, end quote. Quote, it's been written about how I lost a lot of really big supporters. Some of them just aren't pro-life. Some of them think it's a political liability, he said. Ellipses. We stood up. We did what was right. Yeah, we lost some support as a result of that. But if I had a chance to do it again, I'd do it every day of the week and twice on Sunday. North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum, another 2024 GOP presidential candidate, also signed into law a six-week abortion ban in April. But on the campaign trail, Burgum has advocated for leaving abortion in states' hands and not attempting to pass a federal ban. Burgum has said that, as a supporter of, quote, local control, end quote, he would not pass a federal ban, but leave abortion law up to each individual state, as it has been since the overturn of Roe v. Wade in 2022. Ramaswamy has also said he would support state bans over a federal abortion law. Despite disagreements with Trump's statements on six-week abortion bans, many Iowa Republicans credit Trump with the shift in U.S. abortion law since 2022, as he appointed the U.S. Supreme Court justices who made the Dobbs v. Jackson Women's Health Organization decision. Cleon Babcock, a Des Moines resident, said at a September event that abortion is one of his top issues, as his birth mother could have been encouraged to get an abortion. While he said he liked what candidates like Haley had to say about abortion, he believed Trump is still the strongest candidate.
Quote, right now, I would say Trump has the better chance, he said. But I'm never close-minded, and that's what events like this tonight are all about. Republicans highlight their support for Israel, decry pro-Palestinian activists. Though candidates have different ideas on the best approach to abortion, all Republican presidential candidates have pledged their support for Israel in their war in the Gaza Strip following the October 7th Hamas attack. Since the conflict between Israel and the Palestinian militant group in control of Gaza escalated, Haley has seen a surge of interest both in national and Iowa polls, with supporters saying her experience at the United Nations makes her uniquely positioned to take on international conflicts. Haley has long emphasized her national security credentials on the campaign trail and has called for the U.S. to give Israel, quote, with whatever they need, whenever they need it, end quote, in their conflict against Hamas. It's a message she repeated while speaking at the Family Leaders Thanksgiving Forum. Haley said that the state of Israel is important to her from a religious perspective, but that supporting Israel should be important to Americans from any religious background, because standing with Israel, quote, exclusively advances the interests of American citizens here in the homeland, end quote. She said that Israel is a crucial ally for the U.S. and the Middle East, she said, calling it a, quote, bright spot in a tough neighborhood, end quote. Quote, what I want America to know, it's never been that Israel needs America, she said. It's always been America needs Israel. And we have to remember now, I'll just say it, God help us if we don't get this right. We need to give Israel whatever she needs, whenever she needs it, no questions asked. In the most recent Iowa poll, 22% of likely GOP caucus goers said Haley would do the best job at handling the Israel-Hamas war as president. She was a distant second behind Trump, who 52% of poll respondents said would be the best candidate to manage the conflict. On the campaign trail, Trump has repeatedly told Iowans he was the best U.S. president for the state of Israel in decades. He pointed to actions like moving the U.S. embassy to Jerusalem, supporting the Abraham Accords, and recognizing Israel's sovereignty over the Golan Heights. Quote, Just a short time ago, we did the historic Abraham Accords, and today we have the exact opposite, a major attack on Israel, Trump said in Iowa October 7th. What a difference the president makes. While he highlighted his record as president on supporting Israel, Trump has also said he would take measures against participants in the protests against Israel's actions in Gaza and the West Bank. Many protesters are calling for ceasefire, with more than 13,000 Palestinians killed since October 7th, and international organizations, including the United Nations, saying Israel is committing human rights abuses in Gaza. Trump told Iowans in October that if re-elected, he would reinstate a travel ban on, quote, terror-plagued countries, end quote, primarily Middle Eastern countries with Muslim populations, as well as banning Palestinian refugees from entering the country. Other candidates, including DeSantis, have also called for rejecting Palestinian refugees. At a Creston event, the Florida governor said he would oppose any Biden effort to accept Palestinians fleeing the conflict in Gaza. Quote, if you look at how they behave, not all of them are Hamas, but they're all anti-Semitic, he said at the October event. None of them believe in Israel's right to exist. None of the Arab states are willing to take, you know, any of them. The Arab states should be taking them in if you have refugees. You don't fly people and import them into the United States of America. Both DeSantis and Trump have also expressed that they would support revoking visas from international students attending U.S. colleges and universities who participate in pro-Palestinian protests. Ramaswamy is the only candidate who has expressed some pushback to the U.S.'s full support of Israel.
Before the October 7th attack, the Ohio entrepreneur said that he would consider stopping American aid to Israel in the future, though he added, quote, never until Israel told us that they were ready for it. At a tailgate fundraiser for U.S. Representative Marionette Miller-Meeks, Ramaswamy called for Israel to not launch a ground invasion into the Gaza Strip and for the U.S. to not support this response. Quote, some people will ask, so quote, is that anti-Israel? And so quote, no, 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 Ramaswamy said. This is the most pro-Israel thing we can do. As a friend to say, so quote, learn the lessons from the mistakes that were made 20 years ago in this country, and so quote, to make sure that we, together, don't repeat them again. Former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson criticized Ramaswamy's comments at the event, saying that the U.S.'s experience in the aftermath of the September 11, 2001 attacks will allow the country to better aid its ally. Hutchinson served under former President George W. Bush following the 9-11 attacks and said his experience would allow him to better navigate international conflicts as president. Quote, It's been raised by one candidate that we ought to debate what is the real reason that we want to go after Hamas, Hutchinson said. Ellipses. This is a challenging time. We need to have leadership that understands that we can't keep the other nations out of that conflict. Most Republican candidates are united on issues important to Iowa evangelicals, like abortion, parental rights, and supporting Israel. But many Iowa Republicans say that while they like all of the GOP candidates running in 2024, Trump is still their top choice. Mary Lockwood of Lena, Iowa, said while she is still considering other candidates, seeing Trump speak in Dubuque September 20th helped persuade her that he was the candidate who would best represent her religious and political beliefs as president. Quote, even though I don't agree with everything he says sometimes, he really pulled it together, especially talking about how close we are to World War III, about late-term abortions and gender mutilation surgeries happening in some of these states. Ellipses, it really made me more of a supporter. While the Iowa caucuses begin of the presidential nominating cycle, some Republicans say Iowa will be the most decisive contest in the race for the 2024 Republican nomination. Most campaigns have announced investing the resources in Iowa in the final month before January 15, 2024. DeSantis opened a new campaign headquarters in Urbandale Saturday and has visited 98 of Iowa's 99 counties. Haley announced endorsements from 72 Iowa elected officials, community, and business leaders. Ramaswamy is renting an apartment in Des Moines. Vander Platt said the Iowa caucuses will be the gauge for whether there's any appetite for a different nominee than Trump among Republicans nationwide. Quote, if Trump wins Iowa, I think he becomes your nominee, Vanderplatt said. I don't think anybody's going to stop him. If one of these others rises up to be the alternative to Trump, and they win the Iowa caucuses, I think now America is going to see game on, and they're going to have to make a choice of who do they want to be their nominee. So they got Iowa as very crucial in this go-around. Working and economy. Retailers pare back their seasonal hiring to prepare for ho-hum holidays. By Casey Quinlan, November 23, 2023. Black Friday shoppers may notice longer lines and fewer retail associates in some of their favorite stores than in past holiday seasons, as retailers scale back seasonal hiring over concerns about consumer spending. J.C. Penney is hiring 12,000 fewer workers than last year, Macy's 3,000 fewer. Meanwhile, a Walmart executive said the retail giant has been hiring, quote, throughout the year, end quote, and plans to serve customers with the workers it has. And Challenger, Gray, and Christmas, which tracks employment trends, 
reported that so far, this year has had the fewest announcements of large-scale seasonal hiring plans since 2013. Quote, hiring is a really good indication of retailer sentiment of the expectation of holiday sales, and when they are kind of ho-hum about increasing the numbers, that really does demonstrate their number one concern for less than gangbuster sales, said Marshall Cohen, chief industry analyst at the NPD Group, a market research company. The careful approach to hiring reflects the mixed messages in the economy. The labor market has remained resilient with an unemployment rate below 4% for the 21st straight month. Inflation has fallen and wages have risen. Since 2021, inflation-adjusted consumer spending on retail goods has remained fairly high. But the personal savings rate has fallen since May and credit card delinquency rates are up. Economists, as well as retailers, have signaled that they are worried about the effects of the return of student loan payments on the health of the economy, since consumer spending represents so much of the U.S.'s economic activity. The Fed's long campaign to raise interest rates, although paused at the moment, has also affected consumers. Adrian Mitchell, Chief Operating Officer and Chief Financial Officer at Macy's Incorporated, said in the second quarter earnings call in August that Macy's is thinking about, quote, consumers' ability to pay debt using their disposable income, end quote. Quote, this is about credit card balances. This is about student loans, which we know is going to come into focus in the next month or two. Auto loans, mortgages, he said. So we just believe the customer is coming under pressure because of these new realities that they have to continue to deal with as we get through the back half of this year and move into next year, end quote. Cohen said retailers are basically trying to protect their margins. Quote, the retailer this year is basically saying, we're going to do what we have to do to get the volume, but we're also going to protect the margin. And what that means is higher and have less than what we need. But we are better off than having more than what we need, he said. And that's the same for merchandise, ellipses. Instead of chasing one sale by buying more merchandise, I'm better off as a retailer saying, subquote, okay, I've sold out, maybe you should buy something else, and this way I don't have to discount it all that much, end quotes. Sales growth slow, but steady. More customers, 79% compared to 74% last year, said they will either look for cheaper alternatives this holiday shopping season or not make their purchases at all according to a November 6th McKinsey report. A smaller percentage of customers said they were willing to, quote, splurge, end quote, on gifts this year, and fewer people plan to shop at traditional stores. Still, holiday sales are expected to grow just less than the past three years. The National Retail Federation estimates that retail sales during November and December will increase 3 to 4%, down from a 5.4% increase last year. But what people are buying may be different. Quote, service spending growth is strong and is growing faster than good spending, said the NRF's chief economist, Jack Kleinhens. The NRF also pointed out that online sales are expected to increase between 7% and 9%, an increase reflected in Amazon's plans to fill 250,000 positions, 100,000 more than the past two years. UPS plans to hire 100,000 people, as it did in 2022. FedEx would not disclose a specific number. Retail Recovery Overall, the retail industry appears to be healthy with employment having remained steady since January, though softer than last year. Elise Gould, senior economist at the Economic Policy Institute, said, quote, We have recovered more than the number of jobs that were lost in the pandemic when millions of people lost their jobs, end quote. 
Gould said one explanation for the hiring this year may be that employers, particularly in retail, are more likely to keep staff on in this tighter labor market because it has been harder to attract and retain employees. Quote, it's possible that employers over the past few months and over the last year are holding on to workers because they don't want to have that business of trying to find workers when they need them. And so it's possible that you're not seeing that same pickup because they're already staffed up to some extent in some of those jobs, she said. Ellipses, it's too early to tell, really. And that does it for today's reading of the Iowa Capital Dispatch for November 24th, 2023. I'm your reader, Stephen Gazier. You can access the recording of today's reading on our website, iowaradioreading.org, anytime. Thanks for listening. In the People's Pharmacy Health Headlines, at high doses, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like diclofenac, ibuprofen, or naproxen may increase the risk of kidney problems. The study that revealed this used de-identified medical records of more than 750,000 active-duty U.S. Army soldiers. Consequently, these were active, young, and middle-aged adults. During the time of the study, from 2011 through 2014, nearly 18% of these soldiers got a prescription for one to seven doses of an NSAID pain reliever in a month. Another 16% were prescribed more than seven doses in a month. Fewer than 1% of these people were subsequently diagnosed with acute or chronic kidney disease. Nevertheless, the rate of kidney trouble was about 20% higher among people who had received high-dose NSAIDs than among those who had taken none. The authors described the increased risk as modest but statistically significant. Another class of drugs that can lead to kidney injury is proton pump inhibitors. A data mining initiative of the FDA's Adverse Event Reporting System analyzed kidney-related side effects among 43,000 people who took a drug such as esomeprazole, lansoprazole, or omeprazole. Approximately 8,000 people taking a histamine 2 blocker such as ranitidine or famotidine served as controls since they take these drugs for similar symptoms. The researchers found that 5.6% of people on PPIs alone had a kidney-related side effect, while only 0.7% of those on H2 blockers did. Chronic kidney disease was 28 times more likely, and acute kidney injury was four times more likely among people taking PPIs. While this analysis shows association, not causation, there are previous studies linking PPIs and kidney damage. There's growing concern about a mysterious infectious disease that has been spreading among the wild deer population for decades. Scientists call it CWD, or chronic wasting disease. Hunters refer to this condition as zombie deer disease. It can also affect elk and moose. The CDC reports that this infectious disease has spread to wildlife in 24 states and two Canadian provinces. CWD was first detected in Colorado among captive deer in the 1960s and in the wild deer population in the 1980s. 
It's now affecting deer in the Midwest, Southwest, and some parts of the East Coast. The disease appears to be caused by a prion infection reminiscent of mad cow disease. An infectious disease expert at the University of Minnesota has warned that hunters who eat contaminated deer meat may eventually develop the human equivalent of chronic wasting disease. Shoulder replacement surgery is becoming increasingly common. Now researchers writing in the BMJ say that patients should be warned that the risks are higher than originally thought. The investigators reviewed hospital and mortality records in the UK. When men between 50 and 59 have this type of shoulder surgery, one in four will need further surgery on that shoulder within five years. In addition, older people who underwent this kind of surgical procedure experienced high rates of serious adverse events. One in nine older women and one in five older men had an infection, major blood clot, heart attack or stroke, or died within three months. The authors of the study encouraged their colleagues to counsel patients about the risks as well as the benefits of this kind of surgery. Drug interactions are a serious hazard in hospitals and the community. If patients receive prescriptions for incompatible medications, they can experience severe side effects that may even be life-threatening. Electronic medical records are intended to warn prescribers and pharmacists about potentially dangerous interactions, but many do so indiscriminately. The result is something called alert fatigue. If clinicians receive too many warnings, they may not pay attention to the really important ones. A team at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital reviewed their alert system. They removed unnecessary alerts and provided additional information to the most important ones. After they finished, they tracked clinicians' reactions. Alert overrides dropped by 40%. One important change linked alerts to the patient's laboratory data, making them much more targeted. And that's the health news from the People's Pharmacy this week.